But this is so funny. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, right? They came out and it's like your your influence was underestimated. <laughs> 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 oh, this is <laughs> pure entertainment. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to Bahamas Politics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, the 15th of June, 2021. And yes, we are finally releasing another episode. And here to bring this episode to life, we have one of our co-hosts, Denzel Bizard. What you saying, Denzel? Good to be here again. Yes, sir. Chris Strawn, our other co-host. Hot go, hot go, hot go. And a special guest, the great Sloan Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Sloan. Hi there, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm very, very excited to be in this discourse with you all. You know, I know we met we met in different spaces throughout um, our careers in this political space, but I'm finally glad to, you know, have a, a real conversation with you all. I'm very, very happy about it as well. But for the people who don't know who you are and what you do, it's kind of hard to imagine that since you're very active on Bahamian Twitter, like all of us here. Could you just do a little bit of explaining? So um, for all of you uh, out there listening, um, my name is Sloane Smith, Sloane with no E. Yes, there's actually other people in this little Bahamas also named Sloane Smith, two of them to be correct, men, <laughs> right? Oh. Um, I, right, I know, followed me throughout my entire life. Um, no relation, not the same people, and their name was spelled with an E, mine is not. I am currently a senior reporter, um, for Eyewitness News. Um, I work for the digital uh, news side. So I do online news, I do um, print news, and I do uh, social media management um, to an extent. Um, I did my bachelor's in journalism at COB. Yes, COB and not UB. You know, we was the real carrots back then. <laughs> what? Oh, <geez. laughs> That's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> How is it offensive? Like y'all don't know the real CLB struggle. No, I meant the carb reference. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, and I did uh so after I did my bachelor's at uh COB in 2015, I did my a short stint at the Nassau Guardian. Uh, went off, did my master's um in Belgium at the at the Vray University of Brussels um in new media and society in Europe. So focusing a lot more on social media management, the digital divide, digital age, digital change. Um, and yeah, came back home um, shortly after finishing my master's um, and went back to The Guardian, um, worked for about three years there. And then I moved um, to Eyewitness News in 2019. And um, I like long walks on the beach and Prosecco. <laughs> she is bachelorette number two. <laughs> because that's how it was starting to sound. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have a question. So how long in total have you been in news and media? Um, I guess if you count my time um, when I came outside of, out of UB and, and, and got my first job in news, so from 2015 to 2021, it's so like five years, about five years. It feels like so much longer than that. Like I've been seeing your name or hearing your name in connection to news for what feels like a lifetime and I think that speaks to the impact that you've had in a relatively short period of time which is exactly what I was about to ask you about so in your career you've already had the chance to kind of rub shoulders with some very influential and important people over here in this country 
So what does it feel like being a young person, particularly a young woman in this space? What has your experience been like? You know, I, I say all the time to my other colleagues that, you know, we have, you know, such an interesting relationship when it comes to media and mostly what we cover, you know, politics, crime, natural resources. And so a lot of our um, inside a lot of our information comes from government officials, comes from politics. And, you know, a key aspect of, of this career, of this field is contacts, making relationships, building rapport. And so I've been extremely lucky, like you said, um, over the span of my short career to cover a Christie administration, to cover a Minnes administration, and to have had um, opportunities to not interview, but to engage with, you know, at least three prime ministers of this country. And so I've been lucky to meet, you know, diplomats, you know, government officials, and, and, and that, that uh, span and that, that growth has been something that has been invaluable for me throughout my career. Um, as a young professional, what I see it as uh, is, you know, um, a level of growth. Um, I, I I talk about um, upward mobility a lot, and a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with, you know, that connection, that networking, but also being able to um, learn and interact from these people that you do have access to. Mm. Right? It just went silent. <laughs> I don't know. Did I just? No, no. Was like, you know what? That's thought provoking. <laughs> what I was going to say was like, you've had these amazing experiences and you've been able to travel. You mentioned Belgium, one of the places that you studied in. Just to come back for Rupert Roberts to say that prices are increasing <laughs> on everything in super value. I mean, so can I then, ask? I just don't want to assume that it was for love of country and wanting to make a difference okay we ain't, we ain't really trying to hear that <laughs> so you, why did you come so back you, so you get, you're getting into this brain drain right <laughs> you get, you get, like, I, you know you call it out you know, call a spade a spade chase you know let's just let's just be real why did right? you decide to come home um, so for me, when I left, I, I got a full-time scholarship. I advise any union, I don't care if you feel like you're not good, you're not good enough, apply for whatever it is you see out there, because more than likely you will definitely get it. Um, mm. We are the cream of the crop anywhere we go, you know? <laughs> and so I got a master's degree, a master's, you know, scholarships um, in Belgium, and I decided to do, um, you know, a communications program based off of, you know, that I already studied and in the time that I was there it was such an amazing experience I'm just going to tell you this I barely went to class <laughs> I spent my no no need to lie just all honestly I, I spent my um my time in in Belgium doing a lot of traveling doing a lot of like come on this island girl gets exposed to European life and you think I go into class <laughs> like yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> come on i like, blame like, you at all i was like 21 22 all i wanted to do was see the world and so the good but the good thing about that for me was when i left um when i left the, the bahamas and you know after finishing my degree at U, ub i was i felt completely prepared so when i went into uni um in brussels a lot of the classes a lot of the things that they were teaching us like you know writing a dissertation doing research i'd already in university, I'd already done that in UB. These teachers had already beat that in me. I didn't need to be to class. Mm -hmm. And 
So when I made my decision to come home after I had finished the program, wrote my master's thesis, 25,000 words in the space of a week, um, my, my whole thing at the end of it was, you know, my visa is going to be, um, you know, uh, complete by the end of the year. I really want to stay in another person's country and struggle. And my main thing is, you know, I, I, I can understand, you know, you know, opportunities here, you know, and, you know, I don't want to go back home. I want to stay my freedom. But my main decision for coming back home was I don't believe in struggling in nobody else's country. If I could come home and I get hungry and I can go down the road to somebody Grammy house and get me a plate of food, like, you know, um, I feel it. <laughs> it just doesn't mean that, um, if the opportunity wasn't available for me to stay, I would have stayed because at the time when I finished my master's, Europe didn't have any um, policies for foreign students to stay and work. And so where I found myself leaving um, Brussels, coming back home to a job that I had already secured because, you know, I'd been called back to the Guardian to work um, after I finished my um, degree. Um, my other, you know, my friends and counterparts there in Brussels took about two, three years, maybe having to do a second master's just to stay in the country, um, as opposed to, you know, deciding to go back home and add to that brain drain. Um, I can honestly say um, I, I have nothing against people who decide to leave the country. I decided to leave the country. I may want to take opportunities outside of the country at one point, but I do believe that there is a value and a pride and a patriotism in finding some way to give back, even if that way is I'm going to have to do it from a distance, you know, but that's a personal choice that everyone has to make. Well, I talk a lot. I sorry. Oh, that's why, <laughs> and that's why you're a special guest because we do too much talking on this podcast and we need more people to lend their voices, but big respect. What were you going to say, Chris? Beaded brain drain. <laughs> Like the great Cindy Patrice Dachson once oh, said on the internet that Woods Rogers gave us, <laughs> whether you pack it in a plastic bag, uh-huh. in a briefcase, in a Burger King bag, in a Wendy's bag, whether you pack it in anything you want to pack it in, just pack up your C word that rhymes with funny and be the brain drain. <laughs> You know, some people don't have a choice in being a brain. Are you? Are you I wasn't going to be mean. No, I promised myself I wasn't going to be mean on this episode. Be but mean, I'm please. looking. Hold on, just a little bit. I'm looking at the topic list and I feel like I might have to get a little disrespectful on this call. But nevertheless, I want to jump right into one of the factors that contributes to the brain drain, which is the high cost of living in this country. I briefly mentioned it. Rupert Roberts is telling us he's not asking for feedback he's not saying that this could happen he's saying it is going to happen he instructed super values buyers and this is in today's tribute to quote lock in all you can even at higher prices if you suspect they're going to go higher i thought christmas would catch us by five to eight percent higher but now it looks more like 10 to 12 percent higher as the country opens up and the u.s gets back to normal so he's talking about your pork chops, your bacon, your ham, your ribs, all kinds of things in the superstore. He's warning us that the prices are about to go up. And that is due to, he says, factors outside of his control and inflation in the United States. I don't even know what to say about this topic other than I'm tired and my wallet is just crying at this point. Can I don't I understand. 
please, like, like go ahead, because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. This is actually the first time I'm reading the full article, and the more I read, the more I'm just, like, terrified. Okay, so bear with me. Rupert Robert is to the food store industry what, um, what's his name, Lee Rodney is to... I can't even say the hotel industry because he's just compassing. They, they are dropping <laughs> oh, the bucket. Oh, but yeah. but they they say these things to 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 elicit a particular response and get a particular reaction. You know, they say these things to to put fear and worry into the public's minds and and cause these hysterical responses. I think Rupert Roberts is anyway. Um, <laughs> I. Denzel is biting his chest. tongue right now. He's biting his tongue because I know he wants say to say it. With it. The chest. Rupert Roberts is 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 he's just he he's, he keeps he keeps the country in the chokehold by threatening to to raise prices every time or fire people for this. Or just the just wasn't it just last year he was threatening to fire people? Because he needed yeah. to pay for their maternity. Right. But like, <laughs> Jesus, I don't, I heard you say that he says certain things to elicit a particular response, but from who? For no, what purpose? And, and I mean, I, if, I'm gonna, if I can make a point on that, Chris, more than likely the reporter, um, this being, you know, the business editor, Neil, who does a massive amount of, you know, business reporting. He follows Rupert Roberts. He follows, you know, the trends. This is a question that Neil might have asked him. I know Eyewitness News did a story on this um, back in May, and it was the same warning from Mr. Roberts is that, you know, globally there are challenges. Globally, there are increases in the supply chain. And, and I get the that, costs you know, are going to go up. think realistically, right? And this may come off as a little insensitive, but when you think realistically, you know, the way the way Mr. Roberts is painting the picture is that, oh, you know, this uh, uh, 8% for some stuff, 10 to 12% for other stuff is like for meats. If a pack of ground beef right now costs $5, let's say, it you know, let's go wild, say, let's say a pack of ground a beef pack costs. Of ground beef. Do you buy ground beef? I do. <laughs> I $5? I, do you buy, sir? Have you cooked in, in ground Solomon, beef ever in your in life? Solomon, ground beef was running for fifteen dollars during the pandemic. Not I take back what I said. I might have to move the Freeport. Not Freeport. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. No, one thing. Uh, Solomon's. I only shop in Solomon's. Solomon's was like that. Problem, man. Why are you make mad about Rupert? You don't, you don't give him Bougie. money. Anyway. I go with my options. The only other we we we, we that's the options, Rupert. <laughs> Rupert but said anyway. yes, but him, <laughs> you don't oh. you don't give him no money. <laughs> well, I, I guess I can't talk because I didn't know ground beef was that expensive in Nassau. <laughs> Fifteen dollars. <laughs> it's hard over here, okay. Denzel, I just want to make sure you're still with us. Can I can I just hear something from Denzel real quick? I get what you're saying, Chris, and I completely understand. You know the the frustration on the backs of Bohemian people who are now struggling. You know, nearly a year later in a pandemic pandemic, while we're still in a state of an emergency under a lockdown during a curfew. Like you know, this is frustrating. Excuse my language, right? And right. 
and 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 behemoths just wanted to stop and then when you act like it's compounded you know challenges compounded trauma on top of coming out of hurricane dorian then you know going into a pandemic you know thousands of people losing their jobs you know at this Precisely. point any that. any regular bohemian would have already spent through their savings you know yeah um if they had savings at all so now to tell them that now that you have to pay a 10 to 12 percent increase on certain items that you probably couldn't afford anyway it's it's like a slap in the face right yep. especially someone and a company like super value which I ain't gonna lie, Rupert, Rupert Roberts, and I love him dearly because he always takes my calls. Um, <laughs> but he made, he probably, he probably became a third billionaire, <laughs> millionaire during this pandemic, okay? Because the only thing that was open was food stores and like gas stations and people were flocking to the food stores doing what he's asking you to do now. Lock in all you can, you know? Yeah, can you guys hear me? All Hi right. Denzel, welcome back. Um, they said that I can have your spot for the show, so they don't need you anymore. I that's hurtful, <laughs> but I mean, uh, I understand. But, uh, what I wanted, what I wanted to add, what I wanted to add, though, Sloan, is that um, uh, your boy been making money. Uh, yeah. What I, what you have to point out is that any increase that he's going to make right now would be from a late capitalist um, perspective. He is trying to maximize his profit. And that's the only answer that I think should be uh, given to that uh, to that uh, situation right now. He is going to be fine. If there's an increase in prices, he's going to be fine. There's already elevated prices in super value. He would still be fine. What he's trying to do now is maximize his profit. So for people to say, oh, boo-hoo, Rupert, Rupert, uh, Rupert Roberts, uh, and saying that he is taking a hit financially, he's not. Just make a little bit less money. <laughs> That's kind of the point of business to not take. But I mean, it'll it? just make a little bit less money in a in a pandemic when people are struggling financially right. in this country. So I I I don't I don't see the rush. I don't understand the rush to defend him as well. Yeah, just last month on May seventeenth, there's a story that again Neil put together for the Tribune. And the headline of it is super value chief. Well, will run dry if taxes increase. So literally every time Mr. Roberts comes into the media, it is to complain about something that the government is about to do or blame an external factor on what's going on in his business. And the man is entitled to run his business however he feels. But we are talking about, uh, can I call it an essential service? I feel like we can. Because when so many businesses were closed during this pandemic, yeah, well, his was open. Grocery stores are definitely, and he has one of the largest chains. Grocery in the stores are definitely the essential service. So you know, they got extended hours, they got extended days to operate, they got time to restock. Do you think people are are defending him, or is it just a matter of well, if you don't like his prices, you don't have to buy from that particular location, but which in actuality is not the case, Maybe you know, it's not the case. I, I, don't think I think it's that as, as Jay said a few moments ago, you know, he always blames the way he's running his business on an external factor. And in this case, you know, it always, not in this case, but it usually, the anger is usually always directed at the government. And that's, and that's what a yeah. lot of the responses have been you know, if you saw the conversation on Twitter earlier today, that's 
that's what it turned into today anger at the government and that's how it always that's that's how the conversation always um turns whenever rupert roberts makes a conversation about his company every single time every single time no matter which government is in power. And so you have an issue with his scare tactics with the government or the fact that they roll, like the fact that. That they roll I, over I, and, you know, allow him to maintain some love, you know, power or, you know. Both. Because, because it's, it's, it's exploiting the public. Because to me, I, a lot of the times, you know, the government, and not just this government, but in general, a lot of times the government doesn't need to take the blame for the craft that you're doing or, or for what you want to do. Who may have cursed a grand for once in our lifetime? <laughs> and so, and so, I don't like that because it's exploiting the the Bahamian people's dislike and and distrust in any government in power. I do not like that. And maybe, maybe it's just because he's a white man, but it's especially egregious to me. Whoa, I was waiting for that to come up. That and that, 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 that um, he's a wealthy white man. The majority, the majority well. of his customers are. People of look at where so super values are, and that's not by accident. Look at where they come at over the hill area. Not not um what 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 they bought to the market and turn it into out west. Not that super value. Where are the super values? How many super values are in what are higher um income areas? How much y'all see in Old Fort Bay? How much y'all see in Albany? So 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 do do you think that um. Uh, that after Mr. Roberts makes his commentary, makes his criticisms of the government, he just goes and you know put us back into his hole. No, I'm I and I, I I'm pretty no, sure. No, 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 I, no. I'm pretty sure he's having the rapport. He's having the conversations with the government. So it's the scare tactic that you have an issue with, and not the fact, not the relationship. You know. No, I think the, the issue is that he, oh. he he affects changes in the government because he has the power and wealth. Well, believe me, government. And you know. And that's why I was comparing it initially to um, um, Rodney from Compass Point because he has he is no doing impact that. on the government whatsoever. Though he doesn't, he doesn't, implement, he doesn't impact policy at all. And, and that's what I'm saying Rupert Roberts is doing what Rodney would like to do. Yeah, but that's also that's that's also that's an through. Um, and I and I can say because I've seen I I you know I've I've been up close and personal to how this you know kind of politics thing work and you see you see the philanthropy you know and you, you see the give backs and you see the collaboration is just a tax write-off mm -hmm. that's quite literally all it is. is that a thing in the bahamas by yes the actually what? yes philanthropy is just a what? tax write-off that's quite literally all it is if it's not yeah. that then it's just a way for them to launder money that's yep. quite literally all it is in this country. Now, I'm not. I'm not accusing anyone of laundering money. I'm never. I would. I'm saying that's what philanthropy is. Philanthropy is a front for either hiding your taxes, not sorry, not paying taxes, or hiding uh, funds that you've made, or being a good person, or wanting to give back to it's, your community. Uh, that's what. That's what public or private partnerships I, are about, right? You understand? You know, the two don't have to be. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, they could be. They could be trying to do a good thing and doing that at the same time as well. <laughs> and still benefit from it at the same time. But I'm telling you that's why they do it. Mm. They have a good, that, I mean, I, I work, I work in, I work in law, anti-money laundering compliance. I'm telling you that's, that's why they do it. You got something to tell me, Denzel? It could be off the record, you know, I, I know you're on the podcast. 
compliance, and I'm telling you that that's that's what that's that's quite literally what philanthropy is. In our in our in our current political system, that's what philanthropy is. Right, and not in the country, not in the country. You understand? I mean, globally. Yeah, and and what you say doing something for PR. But in effect, doing something else, who would think of doing such a thing? <laughs> Everyone. And would you, would you in fact say, I guess, um, Denzel, in that note, would you, would you kind of um, put both the, the philanthropy here in the Bahamas and how that is used to, to the way campaign financing is used? Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it. I would. I would. I would for sure. Um, the thing is, I don't think a lot of people understand how wealth works its arms in this country wealth puts a lot of power uh in our political system we don't we there's a lot of uh, wealthy people behind the scenes that we don't see um working every day in our political system but they are there and through things like philanthropy they do actually have a lot of power in this country as well they do because the government needs to mobilize its projects whenever you see some of these projects not moving and, and you know they're looking the for donors can. they're looking for partnerships they're looking for you know community investments and you know and like you see in the past sometimes sometimes some people it. want a stem cell research you know oh oh no <laughs> listen some people are like who some people some people no. don't get arrested no. in Canada stop it <laughs> Some stop people, it. I don't know, but you, I but need you, you to put in a money. You put in a shitload of money and investment. You know, you call it philanthropy, you call it campaign financing, and you, you know, you get influence. Correct. Correct. You're absolutely right. I have nothing to say. I can't believe you would ever insinuate that rich people would do certain things to advance their own interests and grip on the country instead of just doing it because they're nice. I can't believe that you guys would suggest is, that. In the all thing of is, you are... you're being you're being facetious, but there are people that I've seen. It looks like the majority of our population believes that because we've seen the discourse already on social media. Do we? You know, sometimes I wonder, I don't know if it's that people necessarily, particularly persons from a, like a lower income structure, I don't know if they believe that. I think it's just, they don't really have much choice and they don't have much decision-making power either way to affect a kind of system-wide change, or at least they don't think they do, that would stop these things from occurring, or at least bring to light some of the activities that you speak about, Denzel, that we don't see, but we know are definitely there. I think they just can't do anything about it. So it's like, all right, well, if they're giving out free things, for example, I might as well be there to collect. You know, um, I'm, are you going to make a comment on that, Denzel? Oh, no, you go ahead. <laughs> um, I think, you know, an, interest, an interesting thing in what you say with that is that, you know, you have these political parties <laughs> that operate off of mm -hmm. the same, um, I guess, thinking. <laughs> And it's it's dangerous, right? Because mm -hmm. you know you kind of put certain things within the society, certain perspectives, certain ideologies um, at risk. Especially when you you talk about corruption, you talk about um, 
accountability and you talk about, you know, fairness, uh, equity and equality and this minister administration um, would have come in. I covered, I covered the prime minister and, and his team during the campaign trail. I know the promises they made, you know, the, they made and, 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 you know, everything that was supposed to come from this, this first term, right? Um, and a lot of people feel disappointed because they feel for some reason that they did not get the level of accountability and transparency that was promised. And you lose a lot of political capital that way. I completely agree. In fact, we're in possession of a particular document that has been circulating and it's basically called like FNM 2021 Accomplishments. And in it, they list some of the things that they spoke about uh, changing in the country since they came into office. There is a section on transparency and fiscal accountability. I'll read one of the bullet points to you. It mentions that there was a commitment to accountability and transparency, and it shows in the publishing of fiscal strategy reports in 2019 and 2020. In 2018, in November specifically, as part of the fiscal responsibility legislation, the government produced and published a fiscal strategy report for the first time in the history of the country. And there are similar bullet points to that effect. Now, I'm not going to comment on, you know, whether or not I think that was enough or if that even came close to the wide sweeping changes they promised in the campaign trail, because we all know that it hasn't. And that's why Prime Minister Minnis is saying he needs a second term. No, but no, that's why he said he's going to get a second term. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, the Prime Minister, I, I think if it wasn't, um, we didn't have John Knud this year. So maybe the John Knud the year before, the year before that, I remember him rushing down Bay Street, being asked by reporters chasing him, you know, when <laughs> on Bay Street while he rushed in, like, you know, as asked, no questions. His poor grandson. I'm sure his grandson was like, I, I try to I rush. I Can think, you like I don't, move I don't your think leg? His grandson was next to him when he rushed that time. But uh, I remember uh, he was asked about campaign financing, and his response to us was, "Oh, I'm going to do it in my next term." <laughs> you know, he's, he's like, "Oh, you know, I have, I have, I have another five years or another seven years to do it." You know, I think this was maybe it was on the thirtieth. Yeah, that's what he said. Um, yeah. I remember but now. but those like you <laughs> to tell the bean people oh yeah you know i'm going to do it in the next in the next term i'm going to deal with the you know the poor people in the next term and once again it feels kind of like a slap in the face because even though that last general election was a rejection of perry christie i think a lot of bohemians still had you know this level of hope or this level of maybe faith in the prime minister i'm not saying that he hasn't done what he needs to do because i i honestly believe that you can commend a person and criticize them in the same breath you know it's okay you know people you yeah, can commend totally. them and you can criticize them in the same breath right um but those those specific um attributes of what campaigning and what his administration or what this administration has done i guess over the past five years a lot of that has been a reflection of the fact that you know, Bahamians felt like the accountability and the transparency was the key thing. And then, you know, you initially came in and you saw them hauling PLP, um, former MP, and you still don't have one single conviction from that. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's Not just, one. and there's still, you know, there are other matters that are still ongoing. That would prevent malfeasance in the future. Right. Um, so, so it's, so it's a lot, you know, it's an, it's, it's an interesting place to be right now and politics right now in this country and the general election is going to be a very interesting show to watch. Yeah, uh, but 
it'll be a show nonetheless. Let's talk about, (laughs) let's just talk about two particular things that this government has done or is about to do that are rather controversial at the moment. The first one that I want to talk about simply because I think by the time this episode comes out, we may have more details on it, is the vaccine perks. So Eyewitness News, a shout out Sloan, ran an article on the 12th of June that says the PM announces vaccination day for those vaccinated. And there's several quotes from him in this article. Basically, he says, what we're basically saying is we want to open up the country. We can have a vaccinated day where you can have happy hour. We're all vaccinated. Carry on. Enjoy yourself. And that one quote has been the subject of people saying, all right, the prime minister is actually going to use, as what Dwayne Sand said, the carrot and the stick approach, where the carrot is this dangling of incentives for the people who are vaccinated in a hope to get more people to take their jabs. And the stick approach of kind of like punishing, borderline coercing people who are not getting the vaccine or who are hesitant about the vaccine by saying, look at all this fun that you're missing out on. Um, And if you don't follow the protocols, we're going to be here to slap you with the fine. Or if you don't take the vaccine, you know, you have to be subject to these extremely tight and restrictive protocols. It's an interesting approach. And I have several thoughts about it, but I don't want to speak ahead of anybody else because I'm very conflicted on it. Sloan, are you vaccinated? Uh, I'm I'm half vaccinated. I get my second shot. Okay, same on, I got my second shot on Thursday, but um by the time this airs, I will be almost fully vaccinated with two weeks to go according to CDC guidelines. Um <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> when I heard about the vaccination day, um I was like okay <laughs> you know <laughs> you know like you know insert meme of like what's it's like the a ball player with like the question mark uh, like on his face i don't oh, know yeah, yeah, yeah. The whoever, whoever. <laughs> yeah him right yeah because i was like i'm just trying to figure out how it works and for me i am i'm clearly pro-vaccine because i'm vaccinated um uh, my stepdad uh, died from COVID earlier this year. Um, Sorry so, to hear that. Thank you. So I'm I was I was personally impacted by it, and so I personally feel I feel a personal you know um, duty to you know take the vaccine, be protected, be a part of you know on the right side of history, and that's that's just my choice, right? Um, I I don't think you know if someone feels as if they don't want to get vaccinated that they they should be forced. I don't feel as if people should feel um, criticized or segregated because they decided not to take the vaccine or because we don't agree with them for taking the vaccine. Um, but at the same time, introducing, I guess, segregation policies, and that's what, that's what I call them because they are um, um, putting what they out, are. segregate, right? You know, they segregate the vaccines from the non-vaccinated. It's just, I just need to know how this works. Cause it it don't it really and truly I just want to make it make sense and you know he would he might have um announced it prematurely or it might have been something that is in discussion and the prime minister decided to give us a he little tends heat. to do that right no this isn't the first time he's done that so I mean we still wait it gives me very half baked you know half baked vibes like he mentioned it somewhere maybe in a cabinet meeting and he vaguely told somebody to get to work on the details and the verbiage of it and he decided to just go and talk to the it quite literally makes no sense to me i i think that (laughs) it's uh, what he does 
is he says we're going to do such and such, but there's never actually a plan implemented into it. So he'll say, well, let's have a let's have a vaccination day for everybody who's vaccinated. Is that going to make sense? Because people can still get COVID after they're vaccinated. So do we still want people congregating without masks and things like that? And then he says, that's my problem. And then uh, and then when he's saying, um, well, let's implement these things so it could be an incentive for people to get vaccinated. Are you actually giving people reasons to get vaccinated? Or you just set, you know, just setting them apart, kind of like um, uh, I think Dental, like you, you may you would have made the point just about um putting these um I guess restrictions into place that's going to make it harder for you know non-vaccinated people to kind of move around, and so it takes away the the choice, right? You take you're taking away my choice from making making the situation so hard for me that I have to get vaccinated, right? And that's that's kind of not fair. Um, but at the same time, you see other countries like the US, you know, doing um vaccination perks like, you know, giving out marijuana joints and, you know, doing uh yeah. doing a um um like a lottery. Do you do you think the issue is specifically with this idea or any vaccination perk whatsoever i would not use the u.s to set precedent for how we incentivize people (laughs) because that's the united states of america las vegas had a okay so let's look regionally in jamaica Jamaica, of money no but las vegas lotteries you know right so so i want to hear denzel's las vegas example though las vegas had a reopening party they had a whole concert no mask they're saying we back open. So I would not use the U.S. as a beacon of, of how to incentivize people to get uh, vaccinated. Yeah, but then disregarding the fact that people still need to be vaccinated more and reopening up doesn't necessarily um, discredit comparing incentives that the government of the Bahamas may be doing to get people vaccinated that the United States may be doing. Because we also have to consider that Las Vegas is one city within one state. Each state gets to control however they do things. It was in, um, what, Ohio, where they had a lottery and a few other states had lotteries to, you know, to to encourage vaccinations. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you can necessarily discredit it just because it's the United States. I mean, when comparing um, best practices, you look at all, I mean, you might say, oh, U.S. is in the... Um, best example, but it's an it's an example. You can learn from what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, and just take just taking the practice of the incentive, not maybe the execution or you know um, how they go about doing it, but maybe just the idea of how we can incentivize Bohemians to want to get vaccinated. The issue that I have with um, you know uh, these level of perks is that you're missing the main point. And the main point is the education. The issue, the reason why so many behemoths don't want to get vaccinated because they are falsely and, you know, just completely lost when it comes to vaccines and vaccinations and what they mean and how they impact your body and how, you know, this thing works because, you know, it's still very early on. But having that level of public education where people can make an educated decision on why you know I'm gonna take this vaccine or not instead of just saying oh I don't I don't want um somebody microchipping me which don't make <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
which, which don't I, make no fucking sense. Which I think is not a reasonable answer. <laughs> I, I think most of us agree with that, but I'm surprised that none of you mentioned two very important things that are factors, especially when comparing us to other countries. Number one, the United States of America, they've got three homegrown vaccines that, unless I'm wrong, have proven to be more effective against COVID and many of the strains that have come out, more effective than AstraZeneca, more effective than some of the Russian vaccines, some of the Chinese vaccines. Their vaccines work. Um, so so I, I, I'm not, right I'm not, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me finish, let me finish because I, I want to build up to it. I'm not saying that any vaccine is perfect, nor am I trying to promote the kind of like anti-AstraZeneca sentiment i got but it so the nobody us was like was like halfway towards their mark of fully vaccinated or at least halfway vaccinated people just a few weeks ago so they're way ahead of the game and with more effective vaccines than what we have we're at what five percent of the people vaccinated something ridiculously small like that even if this idea of a vaccination day had merit and i think to a certain extent it does is now the right time to want to do something like this? Because seriously, the four of us, when we're fully vaccinated, could go gather and we'll probably be fine even if we do catch COVID, God forbid. But we could easily go back into our respective circles and pass it to people who are not protected. Absolutely. Which is the vast majority of people right. in the country. Absolutely. So right. that's why I'm kind of like, I don't think this is the right time for something like okay, this. Okay, so let's just go back to the, um, what you said initially. Um, currently, there are three American vaccines, um, one of which is not as effective as AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson. Pfizer, oh, it's not as effective? No, Johnson & Johnson, right. less effective. Pfizer and Moderna are marginally more effective than AstraZeneca um, with regular uh, strains of COVID-19. And it's actually been proven that AstraZeneca, when taken between eight to 12 weeks between doses, which is why the Bahamas government has chosen to give second doses eight weeks after the first dose, is actually as effective as Moderna and Pfizer. It does fall down in uh, treating the Indian variant, um, which is uh, the alpha variant. It's been proven not to be as successful with that. But so let's not uh, I, I just I don't I don't want people to take away from that and then they'd be like, see, yeah, it, it, it's not as effective. It really is. It, it I is, appreciate the clarification. Yeah, it is one of the best out right now. And don't be knocking Sputnik. All right. Sputnik V is like one of the best in the world right now. Boss, Russian I just people... forget the name of it. <laughs> I wasn't trying to knock it. I just forget <laughs> what's it called. Russians, they really strike gold with that. I wish we had that hell. <laughs> yeah, well. I, I think um, a lot of the vaccine hesitation, like I said, one is based off of the lack of public information. And two, I, I think people feel as though, you know, oh my God, these vaccines, you know, started so quickly um, or, or they came out so I quickly. Hear that a lot. When in actuality, you know, you in actuality, you had an entire world completely shut down. So when you think about it, you had millions and billions of dollars being poured into investment, into science, you know, into, you know, uh, uh, going through the process, creating this vaccine, testing the vaccine, testing period. Also, also right? the uh, right. SARS, um, SARS has been um, 
uh, was being uh, researched for decades before, before. Uh, right, and that's, that's what I was about to say. And and it's just it's just I think it's just a complete you know low level of public education when it comes to the vaccine. So I I don't think the issue is not giving incentives or you know we shouldn't be giving vaccine incentives because I mean I got a lotion when I got my vaccine you know <laughs> what brand please tell me it was Jurgens because we can't be having the government giving us I, no no it was it was a, it was a hand <laughs> no it was a hand sanitizer oh, okay. and I've already used them. oh wow I've already keeping clean and fresh <laughs> it was like it was like a red cross hand sanitizer too it was good too right. <laughs> it was like nice and smooth it wasn't too thick it wasn't too thin you know that sounded graphic when i heard it i was just about to say like uh, <laughs> children listen to this podcast but uh you guys can, bl- you can blurt that <laughs> out. um but no i i honestly don't think it's the vaccine incentive or the vaccine perks that's an issue i think it's you know how you decide to implement these perks and whether or not they're going to be um segregated for people who don't have COVID, who, who don't have, um, who haven't been vaccinated. And then lastly, I think it would be about enforcement. Um, today at- Thank you. Uh, I forgot that point. Keep going, please. <laughs> so today, which is Tuesday, um, you know, this week at Cabinet, um, the Minister of, of National Security would have, he was asked several questions on how the government plans to enforce it. And, you know, um, needless to say he he kind of spoke around it because simply we don't know what this vaccination day is going to look like today on Tuesday the prime minister is expected to give his uh, his his closing of the budget debate on Thursday um and hopefully we're going to get all those details but currently where the minister of national security stands that he believes that the law enforcement the police and the royal bams defense force are able to adjust to whatever this vaccination day um you know enforcement would look like whether that means you know stopping people at um you know stopping checks or car checks and you know asking to see their um ids or their vaccination ids and then he also you know alluded to um the major concern of fraudulent documents, which That's we've been seeing with you know, COVID-19 testing. And so it's a lot that has to come into play when you said we're going to segregate these perks for this group of people, because now you have a whole new level of enforcement that you kind of have to manage. And it can't just be, I believe in them, they can do it. It has to be, we're providing them with the resources. And y'all going to spend more money on freaking cars? Yeah, yeah. What are you going <laughs> to do? COVID enforcement cars? What is a vaccine enforcement, guys? Because what does Come it on. look like? I mean, uh, part of this, you have to trust and you have to hope that whatever the prime minister comes up with for the good of the country and the good of the health of all of our people, he has good advisors <laughs> and people sitting down and saying, okay, we he can't do what? because it's good. I'm saying I'm hoping you have to <laughs> hope and trust that this is the case because we don't want the country to fail, but I'm not necessarily holding my breath. You feel me? No. But what I was oh, the country, this country, I, don't, I, I have no doubt that this country is not gonna fail. We we have no choice but to not fail. <laughs> you know, survival is you know predicated on not failing at this point. <sighs> and whether that's we're going to enter in with a new government, we're gonna enter in with the same government, you know, whether this management, we're gonna stay in this state of emergency. I don't think we have a choice 
to not, you know, come out of this better. Well, I want to segue just because you made it so easy for me, but there is a third choice out there and they had a lot to say about this vaccination day plan. <clears throat> I am talking about the Democratic National Alliance. Oh, I try and so hard not to laugh. So Arinthia Kamalafe, everybody's favorite leader who was locked up and <sighs> kind of held by the police for a couple seconds there. Remember that little time in the limelight? Hey, hey, Jason, not now. Arinthia is my girl now. Yeah, hey, listen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on. I just want to put it I like her person. I like her as a person. Well, I would like to uh, just quote Mrs. Komalafe's words, and I'm not going to comment until the end, as usual. She is talking about the vaccination day plan, right? And he, she says that in an attempt to copy other jurisdictions who are offering incentives and giveaways to encourage people to take the vaccine, the competent authority has made another blunder. What blunder, you ask? Well, some Bahamians have been reluctant to take the vaccine due to the lack of trust in government, poor handling of the pandemic by the Minnesota administration, record time it took to develop the vaccine, the side effects in brackets, including deaths attributed to the vaccine, and the lack of variety in vaccine choice in the Bahamas beyond AstraZeneca. So she is saying that the competent authority in this government have chosen to resort to divide and conquer tactics, which discriminate against Bahamians while turning us against each other. Then she further asks, how far will the competent authority go to infringe upon the rights of the people? Will only vaccinated persons be allowed in the food store, renew their driver's license, or apply for their passports? Will employers be able to discriminate against persons who are vaccinated in terms of hiring or keeping their jobs? And so on and so forth. So clearly, she's not a fan of the vaccination day proposal. And I, I don't know if we should get into this before or after, but... Let's just say that the subject of this particular press statement is actually not what people have been reacting to, at least not on Twitter. It is, I just I'm going to mention it now, it's how the DNA party chose to post this press statement. So our news decided to tweet out the entire press statement and someone, one of Sloan's good friends, I will not name him on the podcast, said that this is how the DNA costs itself hundreds of potential young voters. Just his opinion. 12 people liked it. The DNA wasn't having any of it, though, because from their official account, they responded saying, good morning, thank you for your remark. We respect the one vote you will be able to cast on election day. Have a phenomenal week. One finger emoji, green heart emoji. I wish I could say that that's where it ends, but unfortunately, it does not end right there. So people weren't feeling that response, right? Why would you? Totally classless as a PR move. But the DNA came back and told your good friend that your influence was underestimated. I don't know him. You don't know him? Hi. <laughs> Hi. He said your influence was underestimated. Have everyone follow our other social media platforms as well with a flyer of their social media handles. Y'all, what the hell is going on with the DNA? I've already told, I mean, we've, I, I've talked about the DNA and third parties in our other podcast. If you're a third party and you know you're in a country where two parties go back and forth for the, for the, uh, for the election win, why in God's good green earth would you ever say something like that on social media? That's suicide. Well, one may argue that they were never alive to begin with. Christopher. <laughs> I think I think um the original statement 
um, was a good statement. They made their points. Um, they made their taxes they usually do um and they got you know some level of um promotion for you know their views on this vaccination day which we've had which we just had a you know lengthy discussion about obviously the issue is knowing um or, or having uh i guess the understanding of social media especially in such um a careful you know um country careful community like you know and and knowing how to navigate that and especially as a a um political party you know you can't navigate your political party the, the same way you navigate um the social media pages of your you know personal page or you know social media pages of your um you know businesses depending on those businesses like you know for example you have the you have a doctor's office here she runs her um social media page very vibrantly and you know she she uses you know these different like quotes to engage um dna y'all can't do that no you have to understand they were saying go about your business with your one vote there were some candidates for the dna that did not garner one vote in the last election um the overwhelming majority of them received no votes so that's very big and brassy of them to come on but rogers internet and talk about carry your one vote and go somewhere else big and why would you why would you blame the entire party obviously this is, this is the same way where you like someone needs to get fired that's that's right that's all i see right here someone needs someone to get fired someone they left it up for two days it's still there. Whoever is running this social media page doesn't deserve to run because you clearly don't. They're know related what, to the leader. Of the what party. your role is in this particular if space? If I speak, what your role is in your particular? If space. I speak, can't care, care, no Jace. If yes, I speak, Jace. I'll be in big trouble, and I don't want to be in big oh, trouble. Jesus. <laughs> you know you know you know what what the what the feel of this is like you know how these new age businesses like you know on like the international and i do say international the international like you know wendy's and mcdonald's like they go back and forth and like talk about you know each other dry bread and thing right um i think this is this is they, they trying to be like young and kitschy and everything Sloan, but, but the thing is burger king and wendy's have customers <laughs> I shouldn't have laughed as hard as I did. But, but like, no, you have a point. Like, this is not Wendy's and Burger King because when Wendy's is roasting, they're roasting their competition. If the DNA spent half as much time roasting the PLP and FNM and trying to promote their product as the best as they do arguing with people on Twitter, they might actually get some votes in the next election. But as it is right now, this is the only thing that people see. And let me just note that this DNA social media account, it is their official account, has less than 100 followers. This is the most exposure they have ever gotten on We Twitter. have 600. And it's because, uh, well, you know, I mean to brag, but the whole point of the matter is this is the first time so many people are hearing from the DNA on Twitter. And, and this is not. what you do? I mean, I mean, let's, let's just, you know, take the, the Twitter thing out of the conversation really and truly you know, Twitter is a very, and I'm going to say it, it's an elitist, you know, social media oh, yeah, we page, are, uh, social media side here, here especially here in the Bahamas, most Bohemians use Facebook, and you see, they use Facebook, they use Instagram, they use WhatsApp, and then, and like, they do the, like, WhatsApp, um, WhatsApp status, but I, I it's just, it's just, mm, just know your audience, know your audience. I mean, like, I, 
uh, just a little plug. I do like social media management, branding, speech writing, policy writing. You know, I can help you. I do media training. You guys need some help because this was Don't wasn't forget it. to like, comment, and subscribe and check the bio for the link. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's just the, it's sad because, you know, even though, you know, they don't have the level of engagement they would want to on Twitter, this isn't the way to go about it. And, you know, Facebook is still the go-to you know, um, place for most behemoths when they look for information and news. And so it's not really the engagement. It's just, why would you choose this as your, you know, engagement on, on you know, why would you, why? It makes no sense. It don't make no sense. I'm sorry. I try to make sense of it. Don't make no sense. It doesn't make sense. And I've said this before. I think it was Chris, you might've suggested during our um, arresting Arinthia episode that what the DNA did may have been planned uh that like as a pr stunt kind of thing and if that was the case how i would feel about it well i have similar thoughts on this i don't think that this was something where they sat down and said okay we're going to be edgy on twitter i just think it's inexperience and i think we want to give them a little bit of a break because on some level i think most of us want better and want to believe that there's you know some competence <laughs> in these particular organizations but I'm just calling a spade a spade. It's unacceptable. And if they really thought it was a problem, they would have deleted it by now, but it's still up. So I guess they're comfortable so, so with that. I'm, I'm going to ask each of you, you know, this question. I'm, I'm clearly on your show, but I'm asking you a question, right? Tell us. Um, what, would, <laughs> what would your response have been? So our news shares um, uh, your, um, this is like a press release, right? Shares your press release. And um, a random, um, you know, person, bohemian, young bohemian, young professional, however you want to call it, um, responds. And their response to you is, and this is how you cost yourself hundreds of potential young voters. Mind you, his response was in direct response to the statement, which talked about vaccination date. What is your response to this? I'm going to start just because, you know, I already have it in my head. Um, they literally could have pulled out any single quote from the statement that they put up to respond to this man and it would have been dead yeah i think my response would have been the first one is to ask okay why do you think uh how do you have this opinion why do you think it's going to turn off young voters and then you sit back and you watch what they say and most importantly you watch how many people respond like share it and make comments on that new response because that's your free focus group. You can't pay for that kind of stuff. Sometimes when you do focus groups, people are sort of biased to being a little bit too nice to you just because you're giving them food and stuff like that. But on social media, people say whatever the heck they want. So while you're there and while you know that this person is not really messing with your platform, find out what they actually think and find out what the people around them think. And then if you want to go the extra mile, I think the appropriate thing to do is to message that person and say, hey, look, thank you for your feedback and whatnot. We want to invite you to, you know, bring your voice around the table and like tell us this personally so that we can improve and whatnot. Best case scenario, they screenshot your response and put it in the public and then you get to look like someone who can kind of take it on the chin and improve. Worst case scenario, nothing happens, but you're not going to change that one person's mind through anything you say. So you might as well get more information while you're there. That's how I would deal with it. It's like really great. I like that, Jace. It sounds, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and like you said, free, free focus group. Free, free focus group. 
do your market research <laughs> and then don't do it again. Like if really missed opportunity, you said it, don't do it again. They turn around, did it again. <laughs> and, and then they deleted it. They deleted it, but it was screenshot before they deleted it. And then you after know, that, they decided to do it no, again. No, you're forgetting that part. We didn't talk about that tweet yet. He, the DNA <laughs> account responded to the person who said, oh, this is how you lose hundreds of votes. And was like, oh, you called for backup, eh? Because his friends started to respond, you know, and whatnot. And like how Twitter works, people respond right. to like an engagement topic and, you know, bash That it. is the tweet that the DNA about. did delete. So they know how to delete tweets, but they kept the other ones. I'm sorry. There's there's no <laughs> there's no excuse for what happened on Twitter with the DNA. I I there's no excuse at all. The point that Jason brought up just now in terms of what the response should have been is the perfect PR move. That's why we have him as our marketing genius. But the what happened on Twitter, I mean, you don't even have to be you don't have to be you don't have to be good at marketing to, to know that that was very stupid, extremely yeah. ex <laughs> just dumb. It's really not that difficult to, like Sloan said, you could have literally done anything else in the world and it would have been preferable to what actually happened. But, you know, it separates the wheat from the chaff, <laughs> as they say. Right. And then you, like, for you to, well, the worst thing you do as a political party is to tell a voter your one vote doesn't count. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, technically, they said that they respect the one vote, but... They, I guess they're banking on more people agreeing Wait, with them. They, so. say, they say, carry your big tail and your one vote. That's what they say. Carry your big tail and get your one vote from Rami. I care how you, I care how, how you euphemize it. <laughs> where, do, where, where do you package your one vote in a plastic <laughs> bag, a briefcase, a birthday bag, a Wendy's bag? You can politely carry your one vote. <laughs> I wish I do I wish, um, I wish for better. Please go on, Sloan. Chase, can you give them some credit for like that last response though? Like, you know, they was like, you know, we didn't really um see the value in your popularity, but please tell your friends to like, share, and comment on our pages. No, I think the wording, um, does anyone have the correct, because it was, the tweet was funny. That's what they it said. Was funny. That's, like, I think that's, it was that funny, may be the like, exact wording. But their followers haven't moved that much since then. So I don't know if the friends are liking and following. Maybe it changes in a few days, but I did see or, or maybe there was an attempt. The point there was an attempt to salvage the situation and be like, "Oh, people are looking at us. Let's just plug the." Oh, y'all thought that was good. No, I'm no, not I saying know. I thought that. it was funny. I'm, <laughs> but Sloan wants me to give some credit, so. Yeah, like you know, he like he. They literally said like your fluence was underestimated. <laughs> I'm actually. I need to make that a sticker. <laughs> That's cold. I need to make that a funny. sticker because that line is. <laughs> it's like when your boy got caught uh, making noise or talking to underage girls and he went on Facebook and was like, it would seem that I am in trouble. <laughs> it's like that same kind of <laughs> like that same kind of energy. Oh my God. I don't <laughs> think anybody else caught on to that. You know, if someone in the audience knows what I'm talking about, if you know, you know. But I leave that right there. 
Guys, I think um, we're actually bucking up on time. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, we started a little bit late, so this top of the hour mark that I'm seeing on the screen is not really reflective of how long the episode's been going. But we had hoped to get into some more topics. But I know that Sloan will be back. They always come back. Isn't that right, Sloan? Yeah, I get charged all for the next episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, remember, you said that we need to start running some commercials. So <laughs> we, need to start running some we can ads. pay in ads. How about that? I like that. <laughs> oh, okay, see, business um, moves. If I can ask you guys these last question, uh, this last question, um, you know, would you be a reporter if you didn't ask us questions? No, right. Um, uh, You know, we discussed a lot of issues. You know, you guys brought a lot of, um, you know, really great points uh, during this podcast and and a lot of issues were, I guess, brought to the forefront. What do you think are going to be the main focus um, of Bohemians in this upcoming general election? It ain't to be, I, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about, you know, the shanty town and the young professional development that um, you guys wanted to cover and even the, the recent election debates. Um, but if, if you would say what, I guess, maybe the top three issues, not even three, just like, you know, just say what you think behemoths are going to focus at, you know, when they head to the polls, focus on when they head to the polls. Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be the pandemic. It's going to be money. How do we... Um come back from our pandemic. Um, so economical um, resurgence is going to be one. The second one, I believe, is going to be um, how uh, ministers are talking about housing. Housing is very important right now. We could go back into that in detail later. And the third one, um, I think uh, we have been kind of tuned into corruption over here and how we deal with corruption. Uh, we've seen that, um, well, I don't want to name names because then that's a whole other topic too. But I think those are the three things that are going to uh, influence our upcoming election. Uh, the main things people are going to be focusing on, uh, if we just think, generally speaking, the general Bahamian public, jobs and the economy, um, that's, that's going to probably be the top response, jobs and the economy. Um, in addition to that, and, you know, when, when you say jobs in the economy, you know, it may vary for some people. Some people may just be thinking, um, you know, raising unemployment levels, getting things back together, opening hotels for other people. It may be diversifying the economy, you know, adding more streams of revenue, um, any little sub grouping that may relate to that. But ultimately, you know, the broad umbrella term of jobs in the economy. In addition to that, like Dental said, the pandemic. Um, it, whether the election is this year or next year, uh, the pandemic and people's feelings as, they, as it relates to how they feel the government handled it is going to be um, you know, a big factor for people going into the election. And I think especially if we look regionally, if we look regionally, the pandemic was either number one or number two for as it relates to factors that that people went into with either elections last year or or this year. And then I think crime. Um, I don't know, especially as it relates to police involved shootings, um, just just crime in general. You know, we say that crime is going down, but crime went down last year because everybody was locked up inside their house. 
um, you know, we're not we're not doing enough to actually we we don't we don't do a lot of preventative measures in the Bahamas as it relates to crime. We do a lot of crime tackling after the fact measures. Let's let's do this to to do this after crime is done. We'd better be able to catch suspects, apprehend criminals, so forth, so on. But we're not we we, we don't implement um, preventative measures. We don't implement anything to actually mitigate a crime from happening in the first place. And we can see this year alone, we've had quite a number of murders, quite a number of 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 of, of assaults. Uh, you know, it's especially for a time when people are supposed to be in their house by well, it was varying times for the year from as early as eight o'clock to as late as ten o'clock. So you know. those probably going to be the three main things. Yeah, you said a mouthful there, but I've been thinking, I don't know if it'll be three issues. I'm thinking that it might be two. I think no one mentioned this so far, but I think leadership is going to rise to the forefront. When people turn on the TV and they see on the news that the prime minister has announced a new set of restrictions or, you know, there's this new project going on, what do people feel when they see that man or woman's face up on the television? Is it this person is looking out for me? Is it this person is doing the best they can in in the given circumstances? Is it that they're not doing enough? Of course, you know which sides would, which um, narratives each political side wants to push, but depending on how each voter individually feels about that person who is either in the leadership right now, in the person of Dr. Hubert Minnis, or who could be in the person of Philip Brave Davis, think that's going to factor more into people's decision-making than we give it credit for. And then second on that, kind of as my colleagues mentioned, uh, jobs and the economy. People vote with their wallets and their pocketbooks Right now, there are a lot of people hurting, and they're not certain if the kind of jobs that they were doing before the pandemic are going to return anytime soon, depending on what industry you work in. This curfew thing is really messing with quite a few livelihoods and quite a few jobs, and I think people are anxious to see a political party in government that prioritizes them. I don't know what side of the pendulum they're going to swing on, but those would be my two major factors. And the pandemic handling, I think we might be underestimating that if this election is next year, as it's scheduled to be held roughly 2022, this pandemic is going to look a lot different than it does right now. And people's memories are short. I think people are just going to be more like, all right, what are we doing next? Like, what's the immediate next step instead of reviewing how the government handled the pandemic. I don't know if people's attention spans are for that, personally. I hope we did good, Sloan. <laughs> yeah, no, those are very, um, I, I mean, I asked them for my, my really and truly my own, you know, thinking. I, I like to, to kind of test, you know, what, I mean, because we, as a journalist, we go into the communities, we talk to, you know, Bahamian people all the time. And so I kind of like just test the waters and see, you know, what people are thinking. It's very interesting that you know you you each had different perspectives also because you both you know um you you all have you know different impacts on your lives and so what you consider as important um changes based on each of you and i think that's going to be a main factor for a lot of behemoths when they walk into that booth when they vote it's going to be let me look at what my situation is now and i'll vote based off of how my life is 
my life good, I vote not for that. My life bad, I vote not for that. You know? <laughs> um, but it was it was really great um being here with you guys. I just want to thank you for inviting me on this show. I want to thank you for engaging, you know, with me in these conversations. I usually don't have um these conversations publicly, you know, because I'm not, I don't, I don't put myself on the public stage. I've I've throughout my five years of my career, I've I've been very blessed and I'm being I've been very happy to kind of keep some some of my anonymity. Um because you know I have a, by, a byline so I'm not on TV or broadcast and so I can still you know care on bad when I have without nobody knowing how I look. <laughs> but um <laughs> once again thank you guys for having me on and thank you for being so open and candid. It was an absolute honor, and you're welcome back anytime. I mean it. So, guys, that was another episode of Bahamas Politics Podcast. As always, we're going to do our best to keep up the pace and keep up with other initiatives. If you haven't had a chance, anybody listening to this, perhaps you don't follow us on Twitter yet, please do at Spectrum P-O-L. We've launched a new initiative. It's called Spectrum Spaces, where we have these live conversations with our audience and our community. And anybody is free to jump in and kind of grab the mic and talk about whatever the themed conversation is. So we're going to be having one very soon. It's going to be about the Caribbean and our integration with CARICOM. We had one already that was about should we discuss the future of our out islands and moving persons or, you know, what should our future as a nation look like? They've been incredible discussions. We even had a live debate chat during the second national debate and we anticipate doing more of those. So I just wanted to put that little plug in there and thank everybody for listening sincerely and we'll catch you on the next one.